You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, people under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sound of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King over all the earth, sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham, for the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Wow, thank you very much, Ethan. It's great having you read the Bible to us. Um, If you are here today and you do not have a Bible... These are free. They are literally on the desk as you go out. We would, we would recommend you have your own Bible. If you are here and you don't have a Bible, please grab one. If you speak another language and you'd rather have the Bible in that language, let us know because we like the challenge of finding you one. Oh, so there you go. So you suddenly think, hey, I'd really like the Bible. That is free. I would just also endorse this. Five pounds. Who would like this one? I'm giving it out free. That hand I see there first. There you go, Lo. Can you take it to that lady there? I personally will pay for that one. The church is not lost out. Don't worry. <laughs> Looking forward to our time together. Right, here we go. It is a new month. A new term, a new academic year. I've already been chatting to several parents today about uniform. The reality is most of us buy a size too big, don't we? So that hopefully it will last for the next couple of years. Some of you, my wife was in Ikea just this week, and she said the queue in Ikea for student packs was incredible. Every parent is trying to send their kid off to university and let's make sure they've got saucepans and cups and knives and forks. Maybe you're starting a grad scheme. Psalm 47 seems so appropriate for us to look at this morning. The Jews often read this psalm. It's out of their hymn book. It's in the Bible. They often use this at the start of a new year. So how do you come into this new year? How do you feel? The danger, I think, of technology is that we, under, we hear the news of the world. And we often don't know how to process it. I come into September aware of climate change and many lives lost in Pakistan. I come into September aware of human rights abuses, the war that continues in Ukraine, a funeral that's to take place in Liverpool of a child that was shot in the last month. I come into September aware the traditional Christian values of this nation are being eroded and aware of the increase of mental health. 
I come into this month aware of people in the church that have infections that aren't healing, relationships that are strained, family members that are suffering. But I want to bring some hope. Before I even get into the, the psalm as it is, the sons of Korah wrote this one. Now, if some of you have read uh, the Old Testament, and this is all that happened before the life of Jesus, I was going to say it's the first half of the Bible, 66 books in the Bible, 39 make up the Old Testament before Jesus came. You would have known in number 16 that Moses was the leader of the people and a rebellion came about. And, and Moses literally stands on one side. I, I, I could be talking about, you know, accusing church leaders at the moment, but I won't go there today. They accused the leader. And, he, and, and Moses said, God, choose. Is it the people or is it me? And Korah is killed. The sons of Korah write 11 psalms. You see, what this says to me is your past doesn't define your future. It would have been so easy for them to have thought, you know, our family was the one that opposed. Our family messed up. Our family attacked the leader and they were judged. But actually, they are the ones that have fixed their eyes upon God. So I have no idea how you're sat here this morning. You might be thinking, oh, Pete, I can't wait. Kids back to school tomorrow. You might be thinking, God, I just don't quite know how I'm going to get to Christmas. But what I want to say is, what can we learn from these guys? Today, I believe, is the start of something new. Today is the start of something new. Psalm 47. God is king over all the earth, is the title that has got it in my Bible. God is king over all the earth. Now, we don't actually know the exact occasion that this psalm was written about, but there's some talk that every year they would literally go through a coronation and remind themselves that although the king sat upon the throne, he was temporary and God was eternal. And so they sort of sing this out. Hey, this life is not what it's all about. What we get, though, from this psalm, whenever it was written for, is a description of who God is and all that he has done. There are nine verses, if you count it up, and 11 or 12 times the name of God is mentioned. God, 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 God. What a way to start a new year. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Our God is king. I think, uh, haven't the band served us well? And it's not that they've served well and they've practiced. There's an anointing there to say, come on, we're going to focus upon God who is king. The danger with any title that's used in the Bible is that if we've had a bad experience on earth, it doesn't help us. God's revealed himself as a father, but there will be some that actually the image of father is not a good one. And even now, when I say the word king to you, what, what do some of you think? I've got to be very careful here. I, I know I'm on thin ice. 
I am actually very grateful for the faithful witness and service of our current queen, who's going to be 96, or I think is almost 96. The danger is that we take that analogy of royalty and put it onto God. I think it's phenomenal what she's done, don't get me wrong, but she is human and she is getting old. There will come a time when she will need to pass it on. She has made some mistakes on the way. She's done some great things as well. Some people for and some people against. The danger is that when I then say, oh, God is king, we can think, oh, does he just do ceremonies? Is he getting old and out of date? What kind of king does the Bible describe God as? You see, the Bible talks about God as king in many different places. And although it comes out very clearly in this psalm, You can read it also in Psalm 93. It says, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is put on strength as his belt. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Our God is king. It wasn't just even a picture in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, they often refer to this as well. Sorry, I missed one there. King David also described God as a king in Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God, the king. I will praise your name forever. King David was considered the greatest king they'd had. And he says, but God, I exalt you. Queen Victoria, got to be very careful when I start going on uh, British monarchs. She used to say, I wish God came back in my lifetime because I'd like to take my crown and place it at his feet. And there's almost this thing of actually God is the real king. God is the real king. As I said in the New Testament, Paul picks up this imagery as well. 1 Timothy 1. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. I mean, this is just such a wonderful picture, isn't it? I know it's been the summer, and if you've lost your hallelujah voice, this morning you need to find it again. That's right. Not just for me, but this is the God we serve. Hey, come on, if we really, our God is king. I mean, it's it's an amazing truth, is it not? Our God is king. Thank you. Now, for the people that this was sung to, They would have seen it on so many levels that we can easily miss. And there are, this is true of often the Bible, isn't it? There's a depth to it that when we read it through, and Ethan read it so well, but we can actually miss some of the truth that is there. You see, the title, Great King, oh, that would have taken them back in history to 701 B.C., And that's when Hezekiah was around in the Old Testament. And what happened then is the Assyrians were outside and uh, their empire was vastly expanding. And they got literally to Jerusalem. You can read about it in the British Museum. And and, and they are there sieging. And and the king cries out to God. It's almost like, shall I go to Pharaoh? No, I'm going to go to God. Help. And God delivers them. You see, the king of Assyria had given himself the title, the great king. 
But actually, the God of Israel says, no, I'm the great king. And that's often true in the Old Testament. We can think of it as like a physical battle, the king against the king. But really, it was God against God, whose God is greatest. And actually, the Israelites would have looked back and said, no, the great king is our God in heaven. And others might say, I'm a great king. Isaiah writes about the events. He's a prophet in the Old Testament. Isaiah 31, so the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion. Oh, right. Oh, that. We can see that imagery now in Psalm 47. So they would look back and thought, whoa, in Hezekiah's day, God came down and God proved he was the great king. But it wasn't just even Hezekiah that the Jews would have thought about when they were going through Psalm 47. Because the greatest king in their history was... Yeah, I told you that one, David. David also had strands in this psalm. The the temple wasn't actually built until David's son, Solomon, did it. But actually, David still understood something about let's go up and worship God. You can read that in Psalm 24. But what we do know about David, and one of these stories, if you know anything about the life of David, is that he was a guy that, that worshipped God. And there's always, when I was, uh, used to do youth work, I'll become more undignified than this was a song we used to sing. And it was about David. And, you know, literally, he stripped down to his boxers. It's the way that the Bible describes it. If you read the youth Bible, it's not quite like that in the NIV. And he's dancing away in front of this. And his wife goes, fool. And he goes, I did it for him. I'm happy to be foolish if they understand the real king who's coming. In fact, the words are used from here, because it says in 2 Samuel 6, verse 15, So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the horn. Well, we get that phrase in Psalm 47. Oh, there's the shouting and the sound of the horn. Oh, wow. So this great king, well, the great king was Hezekiah because he looked to God and God proved himself. The great king surely was David, but actually David said, no, there's a greater king than me. This psalm would have taken the Jews back to Moses and Joshua. How how can I claim that? Well, we know, don't we, that Moses was the, the, the man that God used to lead... God's people out of Egypt. They'd been slaves there for 400 years. And God said, I will set them free. And you're to be the person. And actually, when they led them out, there's this sense of you going out with joy. Oh, right. That would have been right here. There was a sense of you're going to take them out. And you know this with Joshua, into the promised land. And it tells us in this psalm that actually you've got an inheritance planned for us. Exodus 15, this recounts the story. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you've redeemed. You have guided them by the strength of your holy abode. God subdued people. That's in verse 3. He chose an inheritance. That's in verse 4. So actually, they were understanding Moses, this incredible leader that broke slavery and brought an inheritance. Oh, that's the king that we're singing about now because one greater than Moses. He was the man, but actually God is the one behind it. Oh, wow. 
There's even echoes in Psalm 47 of Abraham. Abraham met this figure that we don't necessarily always understand called Melchizedek. And you can read about it in Genesis 14, verses 18 to 20. It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed them and said, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. The title of God as God most high went right back to Abraham. And yet it's here in Psalm 47. Oh, so when they were thinking about this king, they were thinking about Hezekiah and God's deliverance. They were thinking about David and God extending the kingdom. They were thinking about Moses and being taken out of slavery and into the promised land. They were thinking about Abraham, that God in his grace chose someone and said, you're going to be the father of my people. That's the king they're singing about. And so suddenly you think, wow, there is such depth and rich to this. God reigns. That's our foundation of hope. I, I cannot tell you what's going to happen in the next year. We often think, don't we, forward from a year. We think often as a church from September to, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know God is king. And that's what this, and, and how does that, going forward, well, I've looked at what God's done in the past. And so I think that's the one I trust. God is king. He is powerful and just. He is sovereign and in control. He's bigger, better, and grander than you and I could ever imagine. That's what it's about, isn't it? And so what we've got to come when we start this new year, and, and let's be honest, I've always got a list of things I'd love us to do. But actually, I think we've got to pause and think, who's the God that we serve? That's what the Jews did at the start of a new year. He's the king. He's the king eternal. He's the king immortal. He's the king invisible. There's nothing too hard for him. Have you heard what he's done in the past? What's he done for us? He sent his one and only son to die for us. That's the king I worship. His son conquered death and offers us life. That's the king I worship. He says, I've got plans and promises for you. He's never failed us. That's the king I worship. You start thinking this, wow, what a king. As I go into this year, I've got to be excited. God, I stand in awe of you. Why do I surrender all? Because of who he is. Now, this has got huge implications for us. Because if we're really honest and we, we wind it back, so often we want to be kings of our own lives. We want to go forward and suddenly think, oh, I'd like to do this, this, and this. I'm, I'm really keen to do that. But actually, as believers, and many of you, you say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple. Then what you're saying is he's my king. I do what pleases the king. But some of you might be looking in and thinking, well, I'm not too sure. What's it mean to be a Christian? What it means is that you acknowledge that he's king of all and you surrender your life to him. 
In verse 2 and verse 7, it says, for, because. In some respects, because of who God is, there are some implications for us. As I was praying about it, I really felt stirred to bring three things to us as a church. The first one is we are called to praise God. Verse 1, it says, clap your hands. Now, actually, we know that the Jews did this to applaud a king. It tells us in 2 Kings 11, verse 12, Then he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony, and they proclaimed him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king! Spurgeon, when he was uh, preaching on this, said, Clapping hands is the most natural and enthusiastic way to express our praise. John Calvin, when he preached through it, says it means the internal is being externally expressed. Some years ago, I had the privilege of attending a conference where Ron Canoli was leading worship. Now, if you don't know anything about Big Ron, look him up on Wikipedia because he was the clapping expert. You know what I'm saying? Come on, let's all clap our hands to the Lord. And he could do beats that I could only imagine. Let's give a clap offering to the Lord, you know, and I'm sort of stood there thinking, man. Now, I'm not going to say you've got to go away and learn some rhythms. But I do think it's great for us to express our praise to God. I think that if we genuinely had just sat back and said, yeah, God's king, come on, impress me. No, no, come on, we've got to express that. It tells us, doesn't it, in verse 6, sing praise. Sing praise, sing praise, sing praise. If you are visiting us today, you've probably thought already, they did half sing a lot here. I know it myself if I bring a friend along, you know, and you think, God, are we still singing? <laughs> Come on, let's move on. <laughs> the Bible says we're to sing praise. Could I just be as gentle as possible? We do do it for 30 minutes if you get out at half past 10. <laughs> Yeah, some of you have heard that point. That's great. Hopefully, you think, yeah, I want to come here. I'm going to make sure I'm in my seat at 25 hours because I'm here to sing praise to the king. That's what my life is about. As I told you, David danced, leaping and dancing before the Lord. I've got a quote from a lady called Nancy. She's an American theologian. Christians brought up in the more traditional, rather staid worship environments often find the idea of clapping hands, shouting, and singing praises too boisterous for the context of formal worship of God. But in situations of utter joy and thankfulness, the raucous, joyful noise to God is not only appropriate but the only response that fully expresses the heart gratitude of communities of faith. Wow. I know there's some people here that will be used to a more demonstrative expression of worship. Come on, get up and stir us. I am not asking anyone to be forced to do anything. But I do sometimes think we just sit back. We're to come and praise God. The Bible talks about raising your hands, about clapping, about kneeling. Hey, he's worthy. He's the king. I encourage you, implore you at home. 
Give yourselves to worshipping him. Give yourselves. You know, come on, most of us have got Spotify or Apple Music or something. Sorry, no endorsement intended. <laughs> but there's a way. You think, oh, come on, I want to praise him. That is what he is worthy of. The second point I wanted to bring was unity. Unity. It tells us in verse 1, all people. In verse 7, it says, all the earth. That's quite an interesting thing, really, isn't it? Because he subdued some nations, but actually there was a sense of we are all to come together to worship. There is something biblical of unity. We live in a culture which is quick to cancel each other. I'm asking that we build a church that is quick to cancel the sins of others against us because we're committed to unity. And hey, if they've offended you, I'm going to cancel that sin and I'm going to reach out in love. It's got to be that. But I haven't got a clue what Ted, Ted Sin is going to say on Wednesday. Oh dear, some of you are now not going to come. But I would beg you, come, because that's where we are together. And in some respects, part of being a church is we're united. You know what I'm saying? And you can almost think, you know, meetups, what are meetups? We talk about Sunday, we talk about small group, and we talk about three. Why would I get involved in a small group? Because you guys are there. And I'm united. And I'm committed. And I want to be on board with that kind of stuff. And I think you see that right here. What's the third challenge that I want to bring us at the start of a new year out of this? One is to praise God. Second is be united. The third is mission. How do I get that from Psalm 47? It says in verse 49, the people of Abraham. Now, we know right from the start in Genesis 12 that God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the commission to the Jews right from the off is that actually you're to bless the whole earth. And if we were to be honest, maybe, and I can look at them and I'm pointing at myself, the danger is they've got a little bit inward looking. Let's make sure we get everything right here and forget to bless the nations. And I've just told us all to love one another, be friendly, invite people around for coffee, have a meal together. That's unity. But we must also be those that are on mission to share this great news with other people. We don't want the church to become a holy huddle. Sometimes it's not as holy as we'd even like. But I'm challenging you. Why am I saying that? Because Paul writes to the church in Galatians 3 and says, Know then that it is a house of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Oh, he's picked up on this. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, Gentile is the term for all those non-Jews, I imagine that's most in this room, by faith preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. I want to remind us as a church at the start of a new year, we are called to be a blessing. We've often had these cards printed, bless, be, be prayerful. Who are we praying for? 
Greg, who I know is on holiday today, he often challenged me and says, Pete, if everyone who got saved that you prayed for last week, who would be saved? Am I being prayerful? Am I listening? Am I asking questions? Am I eating, spending time with people? Am I serving? What can I do to help? Am I sharing my story? We are called to, to, to take on this of mantle of blessings to the ends of the earth. We, we have a building. You keep hearing this word probably, hub. Where's the hub? It's 48 Haven Green. If you don't know, you could look it up on the website. It's, it is Ealing Broadway Station. And some of you say, it's not, because I've been there and it's new. Well, if you stand back, you can see that it actually says Ealing Broadway Station over our building, because we were there first. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to come in and have a look and find out the story. But the whole purpose of that is not, oh, it just becomes a hub that we gather. It becomes a hub that we send from. We think, hey, what could we be doing to bless the people in the community? If you've not come to see it, Wade has done an outstanding job painting it. Yes. Yeah, and that's a hallelujah from Kamika because he's now finished and will now be at home eventually. <laughs> he has worked hours and hours doing that. But actually, it's so that we can bless others. Come and have a look. I mentioned at the start that the Jews used this at the beginning of a new year. I'm going to roll this forward and say the church have often used Psalm 47 at the beginning of a new era. Some of you say, how'd you get that from Psalm 47? Because actually Psalm 47 is often read on Ascension Sunday. Because although we don't necessarily know that, when it talks about God going up, that was often a reference. It was then by the early church understood of Jesus ascending, which was a whole new era. Jesus said, didn't he, to his own disciples, it's better that I leave so that he will come. Actually, the Holy Spirit is to be poured out. Phil Moore in his commentary says, God ascended Mount Zion to rule from his tabernacle and Jesus ascended to heaven to rule over every tribe and nation. So actually, in this new era, new term, new week, new season, whatever we want to call it, I want us to come with a sense of faith. Our hope is not in us. Our hope is in God. Maybe you think, oh, actually, I recognize I'm going to need his Holy Spirit for what he's going to ask us to do together. I didn't know we were going to land on I surrender all. It felt so appropriate almost before I'd preached that God is just challenging us. But what I had to, uh, felt was appropriate for us this morning as a sort of response at this new term is that we would all say the psalm together. And so I'd love us now to read this out together. And I've got it here. Obviously, we'd just go on this one. Let's say it together. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. A great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. 
Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Yeah, Father, we come to you, our King, at the start of this month, this term, this year. Forgive us when we have looked at ideologies that seem to be terrifying, that seem to be coming, and thinking, where is God? You are king. You rule. You reign. We trust in you. God, we can look at you in the past and say, you've done incredible things. Our hope is in you for today. Our hope is in you for this term. We want to speak out now and declare, we do believe this is a new era for us, oh God. Lord, we we don't just want to feel, oh, it's interesting talk. God, we believe spiritually you're taking us into new things. And so, God, I'm asking for that as as we go into this next church year. I know the building's flown into that, but God, we long for more of you. Jesus, we long for your anointing, your filling, your power. We do want to be those that praise you. We do want to be a united people. And we do want to be those that take the gospel to Ealing, London, and the ends of the earth. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.